Welcome back to the holler, tnholler.com, at the TN Holler on Twitter and Facebook, and also all these other hollers hollering across the state. Thanks to your support. And I also want to send a shout out to two special people real quick, Elisa Parker, if you're buying or selling a home in Middle Tennessee, do it through her. And Abby Rubenfeld, if you need a lawyer, those two people are very supportive of us, so we want to shout them out while we're on here. We wanted to hop on here real quick with an old friend of ours, Lisa Quigley, who was the former chief of staff for Rep. Jim Cooper and knows what's going on in Washington better than anybody I know and has some perspective on the speaker vote circus that we're seeing go down right before our eyes. Lisa, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Justin. Of course. So, you know, just to set the stage here, they are right now on their third vote. It's riveting television, I got to tell you. People just saying the same names over and over again. Apparently, they have to go through it every time until they get somebody with the majority of the people voting. So right now, that is everybody. So I think it's 218 is the number that they need or something like that. And, yeah. you know, what can happen is people can leave. And so the numbers that they would need would be lower. But so far, McCarthy has not been able to get to where he needs to get to to become the next Speaker of the House. So, Lisa, I guess let's start with why is this happening and how did you know it was going to happen? Well, it's first happening because the Republicans are completely divided and you're really seeing it play out. You know, you're seeing it play out in the country, but now you're seeing it play out on the House of Representatives. And and actually in this third vote that McCarthy that they're taking right now, McCarthy is going to have even more votes against him. Right. So it's going in the wrong direction for him. And very soon he's going to have to figure out that this is a hard no from this group of members. And at some point, someone's going to have to like pull them inside and say, we're going right. Like a group of 50 or 60 is going somewhere else. I don't know when that's going to happen. Um, they can't swear in all the new members until they have a speaker. Um, they've got all these family members in the gallery. They've got the little kids in their, you know, patent leather shoes <laughs> and tiny little suits, you know, in the on the floor. And they're being quite patient. But this could go on a long time. Um, I think it's and the it's the most interesting. The reason I sort of knew that this was going to happen or had a suspicion that it was going to happen is obviously the small margin. Um, Pelosi also had small margins from time to time, but she's just an exquisitely good vote counter. And McCarthy's never been a good vote counter. Like he lost this years ago when he tried to be speaker once before. Um, and actually, it, this goes to show that he's even a worse vote counter than anybody thought, because no one thought that the defeat would be, you know, quite this profound. And the interesting thing about this vote, it's the only vote that happens during the session where they actually stand and say a name, right? Usually you're voting on an electronic device. You walk in the room, you hit your button, you leave. This is the only vote where you're in the chamber, you're you're saying who you're for, and it is like super dramatic when it doesn't go exactly as planned. So the tension in the room, you know, has probably just been incredibly high all day long. So let's talk about who these people are that are holding up the train right now. It's the quote unquote freedom caucus. It's Matt Gates. It's, I guess it's not Jim Jordan because he keeps saying, let's give it to McCarthy, but it's Andy Ogles, our own Andy Ogles from Tennessee's 
fifth district who this is his first day on the job and he's already participating in, you know, extremist hostage taking. What do they want? Well, the interesting thing is what they want um, is the list is really long. And they they put out a letter last week that said, here are all the things that we want. And the thing that gets the most attention and it sounds so wonky and like, oh, my God, I'm so bored. But it's the motion to vacate the chair. And the motion to vacate the chair basically means you can do this, which is happening right now. You can do the vote for the speaker any time, any day, any member can bring it forward for any reason. So basically, you are giving the opportunity for any member of Congress on the majority side to be like angry at you. And so call for the uh, for the vacation of so the more chaos. So more chaos. So it just promises more chaos. And so, by the way, he agreed to that. Like McCarthy has agreed to that in the last 24 hours, which is crazy town. Um, and it wasn't enough. Right. Like it wasn't enough. Um, there's a long list of things that they wanted. Some are actually totally um, acceptable. And we should have been doing it a long time ago. There have been so yeah. few amendments you know, considered on the full house floor for years, both both when the Republicans were in charge and then when the Democrats were in charge, so much easier to do the job if the bill comes fully baked to the House. So members haven't been really able to offer amendments that could allow the House to work its will. So that like is a legitimate ask and should come from all the members. They should all want that no matter who's um, leading um, the the Congress. But uh, they, all of their demands were met. Right. Like all the demands were met and it's still not enough. So clearly these are the people that like came to blow the place up. Right. Like they don't want to. In fact, I'm wondering if you're one of those 19 or 20 or whatever the thing is now, if you really even want to be in the majority, because it's so much easier just to throw pot shots, just to complain, just to blame Biden, just to blame liberals, you know, do all that. I'm not sure they really want to be in the majority. Right. And that's, one of the things that you can't help but notice when they're making these speeches as they nominate people about how they're trying to solve all these problems, you know, these are the people that oppose every solution that comes to the floor. These are people that have just voted no on everything, Burchett and Green and every single Tennessee Republican for so long. So for them to say, oh, we need a problem solver, you know, it's just absurd on its face. Uh, somebody who agrees with you that they are now essentially moving the goalposts was Carl Rove. You know, he called this an utter unmitigated disaster on Fox News just now. He said chaos brings more chaos. And he was very clear that basically they got what they wanted. And then they decided, no, we also want Scott Perry to be the head of some committee. And then the Freedom Caucus members want to be able to choose their committees, which is something that, you know, nobody has the power to grant them even. So it just keeps going back to like, what do they really want? You've even got Marjorie Taylor Greene saying she's furious and you know, is mad at them for obstructing, which is hilarious because that's what she does best. So where do we go from here? I guess that's the question. How do you see this playing out? Yeah, it's funny, too, with Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm sure she's furious because she cut her deal with McCarthy, right? Like she's for McCarthy. And I was just waiting to figure out, like, what is it that she actually got promised? Was it to be on Intel? Because, by the way, she couldn't pass a background check, but members don't have to on Intel, only the staff does, 
So I have no idea what Marjorie Taylor Greene might have been promised, but she was clearly promised something. And if you shift to somebody else like Scalise, for example, who's the number two, you know, does Scalise then have to follow through with all the same commitments that were that that um, McCarthy gave to these people like they don't want to make the House run? So would Scalise say, oh, yeah, whatever McCarthy agreed to, you know, I'll, I'll agree to that same, you know, list of conditions that are basically holding everybody hostage. You know, the way I, I'm not sure, right, um, how this will proceed. The, the, the real problem is, is that if you, if you leave, if the members leave, then you may not have a quorum. And if Republican members leave, then you have actually Democrat or Republican members leave. The number that you need to right. get in um, goes down. And so I predict that the Democrats will like, you know, there'll be an order of sleeping bags and cots, right? Like you think so? Really? Is that what's coming? There are there is no way the Democrats are leaving. They are going to stay in that chamber because the thing is, is that if Republicans <laughs> decide, you know, to go ahead and leave. And by the way, this is an option because you can vote present. And if you vote present, it doesn't count against the number that you need gotcha. for the win. Right. And if you're also not in the chamber, if you just don't come, or in this case, if you just leave, it also doesn't count for the right. win. So I know that the McCarthy people have been trying to figure this out, but I mean, honestly, he can't count. And they didn't deploy this as a tool. Um, and they, they, they don't have the ability to sort of like send the sergeant at arms to like, you know, remove people, right. Who could, could then be out so that they couldn't vote. Like that doesn't happen. So I don't know how this goes. I mean, the, 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 first of all, I would just say tongue in cheek, but Dolly Parton could save us here. I mean, <laughs> honestly, can you think of anybody else that would have the support of everybody in that chamber just about, um, but it's, that's uh, my answer it, for pretty much anything is Dolly Parton. Right, so exactly. I'm with you on that. But the scenarios that are, you know, floating out there, which I mean, I, they're probably thought experiments and they're probably fantastical, but you could get the vast majority of the House Democratic Caucus to vote for Liz Cheney. And you probably only need about 20 Republican moderates, you know, to also join with uh, to vote for Liz Cheney. And she would logically come up with a leadership team that was some type of power sharing agreement that would be really good for the country, I must say. Well, so somebody else that, you know, we both know said that to me earlier today, and that wasn't the first time I heard that. I, I saw, I think the Washington Times or Examiner, one of those two, probably the Times put that out there uh, saying that the Democrats should nominate Liz Cheney, you know, and come up with a power sharing agreement, which obviously would, you know, you know I don't think you'd ever see like AOC voting for Liz Cheney, but you might get enough. Republicans to support Liz Cheney. How realistic is that? You know, I think there was a situation in Tennessee, a similar one where mm -hmm. Democrats nominated a Republican and then the Republican voted for themselves. And then they kept mump power out of office, I think once upon a time. So this has happened before. Is that on the table? Do you think that Democrats would stop voting for Hakeem Jeffries and nominate somebody who would be more palatable than a McCarthy, than a Scalise. Although I don't know that there are that many of those that are out there. 
Well, the Democrats aren't willing to help them solve their problem right now, right? Like, you know, we this would have to play out many rounds more. I, I, I think it's not realistic. It's just an interesting thought experiment because you could see a way out if you really went outside of everybody's comfort zone here. Um, I think the most likely outcome is that a group of members are going to go to McCarthy and say, I'm out, you know, like I'm for you. I've been for you. I voted for you now three times, but you don't have the votes. And in fact, you're losing votes. And so we're going to go for Scalise, who's the number two. And, you know, I, I think Scalise would have the votes. But again, this is not a, a situation where you just say, OK, does he have the votes? Because there's deals to be made like everybody wants something and we know who really wants something. We know those 19, you know, who, who got everything they wanted from McCarthy and still voted against him. So it doesn't happen overnight, right? It does. It doesn't happen like, Oh, we'll go off the floor and have a little conversation and come back and vote for Scalise. So I think this could go on and on. It could be multiple ballots more. It could even be days more before we get a speaker. Yeah, and I think the people who are out there, and I see you guys commenting, I appreciate that. And if you have any questions, hit us up in the comments, and we'll ask Lisa. We're lucky to have her knowledge here on this. Again, she was the chief of staff for Representative Jim Cooper for a very long time and knows how this works. Uh, but one of the things that people need to know is that the record for how long this has gone, which was a long time ago, I don't know the year, but you know, pre-1900s, uh, it went on for months. And I think that was also like the last time that it didn't go down in the first vote. So we're already yeah, in uncharted territory. Time, the last time it didn't go down in the first vote was literally January of nineteen of of, of nineteen twenty three. So yeah. it was exactly one hundred years ago. That's amazing. And it, it went on for many many days. Um, actually, in in, in eighteen fifty six. That's um, the one. Three hundred and eleven votes before they got, <laughs> uh, and it took months. Um, right. And it was actually part of it was it was it, it was very much caught up in, um, you know, what led this country to a civil war. So I you know, don't want to make those you know kind of comparisons, really. But like this is how extraordinarily rare this is. Right. Is it you have to go 100 years ago to see when this has happened? Well, it's it's pretty fascinating that that's the case. Uh, one of the people that is involved in Gummy Up the Works, we mentioned him before is Andy Ogles. I'm curious what you think specifically about Andy Ogles. First of all, this is something that I wanted to show you. This is a tweet from Olivia Beavers about half hour before we came on here saying that a few months ago they asked Andy Ogles about McCarthy and he said he's earned the right to lead the caucus. I'll be supporting him. And here we are where he's not supporting him. But do you see the date? What's the date? I'm not even looking. It is in September. Right. It was before so, the before the general election. Right. So but I just I guess I'm saying, like, what what happened between now and then? Like, what do you think Andy Ogles specifically wants out of all this other than attention? Or is that it? Well, I think Andy Andy Ogles very well may be a, another George Santos, right? I mean, really, can you trust him on anything? Um uh look, Andy Ogles is gonna be representing a part of Nashville, and uh, you know, he and Mark Green and you know, Phil uh Phil um Rose, is that his name? Rose. Yeah. John Rose. Rose. John Rose, geez. Um, Have all said to provide, um, you know, representation, you know, for Nashville. Um, How do we think that this guy, 
Ogles can provide representation for Nashville because by the time they end up getting a speaker, you know, he's not going to be on the side of those who want to govern, right? He's already showing that he wants to be on the side of those that blow things up. So I think that in terms of how this affects real people's lives, um, you know, we're, we're on a pretty dangerous course with this guy, but we knew this, we knew this a long time ago. Right. And, you know, Andy Ogles, of course, is somebody that called the pandemic fake and, you know, has been racist towards Asians and a lot of ugly stuff and uh, said he was a police officer. So that Santos thing, you know, that ring is true because, you know, we already know Ogles has at least embellished his past while we're on that topic real, real quick. And, and then we can kind of sum this up here and I appreciate the time you've given here, but the Santos thing, you know, that guy is under federal investigation, lied about everything uh, how surprised are you that something like that could happen? Because I have to admit, I'm actually pretty surprised that that could happen. You know, I, I know Tennessee Democrats pretty well, and I'm not saying that Tennessee Democrats have their shit together better than any other state or anything like that. Don't have the resources necessarily. The media here doesn't have that many resources. But I can't even here imagine somebody with that background telling that many lies slipping through the cracks in that way. How does that possibly happen? in New York of all places? Well, actually, it's really, really puzzling because the conservative newspaper on Long Island yep. actually covered this extensively. Yes, and not did. only did they make it news stories, but they editorialized in the race. And as a conservative newspaper, they said, we wish we could endorse the Republican in this race, but we can't. Right. He's a fake. Yes, you the know, North Shore leader like, you're talking right, about. Right, small the North paper. Shore like, yeah. What? And so the conservative newspaper in that district knew this, editorialized about it. Um, a lot of other news organizations. There's Ogles right there, by the way, on his phone. Oh, yeah, there he is. There he is. And I think it really got caught up with, um, you know, so many other races, right? The Kathy Hochul um, gubernatorial race was close. Sean Patrick Maloney, who was the head of the DCCC, who ended up losing his congressional race. They were so busy covering that and, of course, covering the Senate races, which were going to decide, you know, the power of in the Senate or who control the Senate. I think all those played a role. But let me just tell you the other thing. I thought you were going to say how this could happen. Yeah. And, and I've actually been watching this story with great interest because to me, I really wonder if there hasn't been a strategy that's being deployed around the country to get candidates um, slated to do the kind of thing that he's been doing, because we saw that in 2010 when uh, Jim Cooper had a, uh, had a opponent by the name of David Hall and, and David Hall uh, uh, came within 13 points. It was actually the smallest margin that Jim ever had a victory in 2010 against a guy named David Hall, who had reported $18,500 in income the previous year. And yet he reported that he loaned his campaign $70,000. Meanwhile, he had a defunct business and he had five mouths to feed at home. And what was happening was he, he realized that you don't actually have to report you don't have there's no reporting process to prove that you've made a loan like from your bank account to your campaign. So he reported a loan that was mythical. He never made it. And then as the campaign contributions came in, he just paid himself back. So right. he was basically living his life on campaign funds, right? It was a it was a total fraud. And it was 2010, it was that Tea Party year, and just about every white Democrat 
in the South got wiped out with the exception of five members. And that would include Jim, but it came very close and he was a total fraud. And so the, the, the pattern actually that you see with George Santos really rung true for me because there were so many similarities in that David Hall campaign in 2010. And then you just wonder like, where else is it happening where maybe they didn't win, but they tried and maybe they'll win the next time. Because remember George Santos won, uh, ran two years ago and he lost and he came back again. And I think the idea that you come back and you run again is everybody assumes that maybe you've been vetted the first time. I don't know, but the opposition research was terrible. You know, it totally failed the um, candidate, uh, Robert Zimmerman, who I actually had a conversation with this last weekend. Um, and, I, you know, I don't think that he's actually going to be a member of Congress for very long. I think he'll either be expelled by the Congress um, or he there are several investigations, both federal yeah. and state um, investigations going on. So I don't think he'll be there long. But, you know, there's some evidence that there was Russian money. You know, uh, well, that's uh, what I was going to say. Uh, yes. I, you know, he's on record saying that he's been to Russia a lot uh, in his career. And, you know, Russia stuff was not a hoax, no matter what anybody says. So and I think people need to listen to the Rachel Maddow podcast, Ultra, which shows how long the history is of, you know, enemies of, of this country getting their campaigns financed by, you know, financing congressional campaigns and using them for their, you know, for their benefit. So it, it's yeah. the questions need to be asked. Brazil's coming after that guy now, as Christine Park says. And, uh, you know, it, I, it's sort of amazing that he has now become kind of he's he's really like an emblem of what the Republican Party has become. He should almost be the speaker. All right. So just to get you out of here on this, what what do you think? You know, we're looking at for just for the rest of this day. Is it just voting, voting, voting and people literally camping out in that chamber? Yeah. At some point they can decide to adjourn and um, come back and try this again the next day. Um, and at some point, I mean, they'll probably have to unless the scenario that I see playing out is the cots, because if the Republicans feel like they can keep all their people, then part of the strategy is like waiting out the Democrats, thinking that they're going to like walk off the job, which is not going to happen. So I think at some point they're going to have to just like adjourn and then come back and have the whatever negotiations they have to have behind the scenes to see if they can get somebody who can get uh, the 218 or whatever the number is at the time, because we don't know until you have a quorum call, you know, what the actual number is. Um, Are you allowed remember, to eat on the House floor? You can't eat on the house floor. You can eat in the cloakroom and there's, okay. you know, there's stuff in the cloakroom. It's, you know, it's bar food, but you know, it'll, it'll sustain them. <laughs> um, but, but you know, remember they can always, somebody can always come back to and, and vote, you know, present, which could be helpful to whoever is trying to get, you know, to the 217 or 18 or whatever. So you mean that do. they'd be basically saying like, I did my part, I opposed him and now I'm just going to vote present and kind of let him go. Yeah. Yeah. That could happen. And that's probably what the, they're trying to make these kinds of deals. But who knows? I mean, I don't think anybody has any idea how this thing is going to come out. It's wild. Well, on the one hand, it, it is kind of fascinating, you know, just the drama of it playing out. On the other hand, it's so boring that it's almost like, you know, uh, daring anybody who, who is thinking about getting involved with this stuff to go do it when you're there. Which side is it? Is it like the epically boring side or is it like actually interesting? Uh, when, when you're watching this process play No, out? when you're there, like when you've been there, you know, in yeah. person as this goes, 
Yeah. In yeah. person. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're there, usually the outcome is, is predetermined. You know, there right. was, there was only one, there have only been a couple in the last couple of terms where um, Speaker Pelosi had to really work hard to get all the votes that she needed. And, um, and you may know that, that Cooper for a number of years voted for an alternative, but yeah. in 2019 and 2021, he first, he voted present in 2019. And then he voted for her in 2021 after not having vote, voted for her several uh, sessions before that, but voting present in 2019 was precisely what she needed because had he voted for a person, um, it would have been a problem for her count. Um, but he voted present and she had exactly gotcha. to get it. And so that's where the vote counting comes in. You have to be able to have these relationships where you can go and you can talk to the members. And I mean, he would have never cast a vote that would have uh, brought her down as speaker. You know, his his votes against her for over the years, you know, from time to time were symbolic and, you know, he made his point. But by the end of his career, you know, she'd appointed him to more committees than any member of Congress. And he was also on Intel, which is her her most important committee. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where you have to continue to have the dialogue going and try to figure out, you know, how you can make this work, um, both for her and for him. And they were able to, you know, come to, you know, agreement and none of those votes for her, you know, were ever as dramatic as this because it's been a hundred years since such a situation like this. It's an amazing thing to watch. Just as a final thing, the Tennessee legislature starting up again in the next few days. Are you planning on paying attention to it at all? Do you have any thoughts about, you know, where Tennessee is? It seems to me like we have our own crop of extremists coming in uh, and it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better around here. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I'm I'm always paying attention because I live here. Right. And yeah. I, I don't want to live in a place where, you know, crazy people are running things. Um, I'm particularly interested in the division that you're seeing right now amongst some Republicans in the caucus in Tennessee that want to have reasonable uh, exceptions for abortion in this state. Um, and the vast majority of them that seem that they want to stay, it, you know, in the place where we are, which is we have the worst, most restrictive um uh, uh laws in the country on this right like like hands down yep. um so i would be very interested in that and seeing if there's any way that they can find their way to co a compromise um but i i'm i i think it's so easy to just kill something in committee and say oh well sorry you know never get to the point where you would have like a floor vote um so um you know we got a couple a couple members that are i think operating in good faith on the republican side at least on that issue to some extent but I, I find it very hard to see the way forward that would end up having a good outcome. Well, the through line with both of those things, just to tie them together, is, you know, that law that you're talking about is a vote that Republicans took and now regret. A lot of them are saying they didn't know what was in it. You know, some lied about what was in it. And then here we have Republicans at the federal level showing that they're going to have trouble governing also. So there's just an unseriousness about governance uh, throughout their entire party at both the state and the federal level. And to me, that's kind of the big takeaway is, you know, we need people 
that are serious about governing that understand that laws have real impact on people. And, you know, I think that's a big part of the change that we need to see at both levels. Lisa, and thank you so much. Yeah. And I got to just, just last thing to say is that there's a, there's, you know, plenty of people that are trying to do the right thing in, in states. I'm working on uh, child hunger in states, including red states. And you find lots of people that want to govern and want to make things, you know, better. I, I just don't happen to live in a state where that appears to be the case. Um, yeah. It, in the in the majority um with the republicans in the, in the super majority in this state um, what's that called tell people what it's called oh i work for solving hunger and we are um trying to solve child hunger and we do that by passing bills to really extend to every k through 12 children um meals in school and uh, for breakfast and lunch because we are a rich country um, we know that uh, children are getting nutritious food when they're in school, and we need more of them to be getting that so that they can learn and have so have a better social emotional experience, not be stigmatized. And and it's going great. And we're working in red states and blue states where we have you know plenty of members on both sides of the aisle that want to do this. So that, that's gratifying. Stay in touch, and uh, thanks thanks for all you're doing and all thanks you have you done. Do. So that is Lisa Quigley, Lisa Quigley TN on Twitter. Give her a follow. She is smart and knows her stuff used to be the chief of staff for rep jim cooper speaking of cooper in his exit interview with the tennessean he said that he's embarrassed to live in a state that basically cares about its people the least we were hoarding the most amount of money intended for poor people block medicaid expansion cost ourselves 23 billion dollars and counting and a lot of people are suffering so as this circus continues at the federal level the next circus is starting up again at the state level we'll be there to cover that and we hope you'll keep following the holler as we tell you what's going on at the state level. And we'll see you next time. Tennessee. Woo! Yeah. Tennessee. It's a tennis.